The sacred divine feminine is creative, abundant, flowing, receiving, and disruptive. And the new energy of money, including cryptocurrency, decentralized finance, NFTs, and even the metaverse, is all these things too. Welcome to the Goddess of Crypto, a weekly show where women who are already in this powerful space will cover these topics simply, so you can relax into knowing that the future of finance is female. Hi, and welcome to another episode of Goddess of Crypto. I have with me a woman so interesting. She has a special name. She goes by Django Unchained. And I was lucky enough to meet her at an event in Miami. And I immediately said, come on my show. We have to talk about all the things you're doing and all the ways that you are empowering women. So Django, welcome. I'm super excited to have you here. Well, thank you so much for having me, Hallie. I'm very excited to be here. And um, I'd love for you to start by telling people a little bit about you and about maybe how you got that very special name. <laughs> oh, yeah. This story goes back 10 years. Uh, the Chango and Chain saga started when, well, I decided to quit my nine to five job. I used to work at JPL NASA, the the NASA laboratory that uh, spends sends Curiosity to Mars and all the other rovers to Mars. That's their specialty. And I felt like I was a cubicle, like wage, wagey kind of thing and was unhappy there. And so uh, as soon as I quit that and dove into Bitcoin, basically, that was when I became Unchained. And it's a play on my name, my real world identity. And it it works. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna say my my real name. But don't worry about it. It's all good. It's a, you a as I, sa- I was saying to you earlier. Super sexy. Love it. Yes. <laughs> so um. So Chango, I want to talk about uh, what you said about a Bitcoin. You said Bitcoin unchained you. So uh, do you see Bitcoin as being different from other cryptocurrencies? Yeah, I definitely do see that. I'm in the camp that believes Bitcoin is the soundest money that we have out there, and it's a great store of value. Um, That's not to conflate it with it being money as in currency to exchange and buy goods with. It's to store your wealth in. I I think it's the best form of that. So it really is digital gold uh, because of the properties of proof of work. I'm not going to get into any of the technical details, but... um, because I have dove in, dove into the technical details, you know, this is my conclusion. So for that reason, it's different from the other cryptocurrencies, even though I am also a fan of other cryptocurrencies. Oh, that's good to know. So not necessarily a Bitcoin maxi, as they say. No, not at all. <laughs> so uh, just a note to any uh, new listeners, if you are interested in understanding the difference between proof of work and proof of stake, if you're interested in understanding the difference between uh, different cryptocurrencies uh, or some of the more technical things that Chango just mentioned, you can check out the earliest episodes of Goddess of Crypto, especially the crypto vocabulary episodes where we went over all of this stuff. So Chango, tell me a little bit about uh, your background. Were you I mean, are you a rocket scientist or were you more of a, a a person in a job in that industry? A person in a job in that industry. 
<laughs> yeah, which is why it was less fulfilling than being part of the crypto industry because in crypto I get to get my hands dirty and um, do you know mechanism design, tokenomics stuff like the fun stuff. Um, in JPL, I wasn't able to do that. I was doing contract acquisition, so we estimated how much time and cost it would take to send. You know, to to build curiosity or, or like to build a Mars rover, first of all, and then send it there and that like that entire mission, how many years it's going to take, and then propose it to the government so that uh, we could get funding at the lab to to uh, to do such a project. So it's less interesting than the actual engineering work. It's less sexy than being a mechanical engineer there for sure. Got it. And so when you talk about crypto mechanization or you talk about tokenomics, is there a way to explain that in plain English? Like, what do you do in as plain English as possible? Which means you won't be getting into the details of it. I get it. But just like, if you know, is there a metaphor? Like, you know, yeah. if you're building a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, you're the peanut butter and the jelly. I mean, what do you think? Right. In car metaphor, it would be like if I'm building a car, the mechanism is the the engine and all the different parts that go into powering the car. Um, so designing that for Good. for new token. Yeah. <laughs> Excellent. All right. And then what would you how would you define tokenomics? Uh, are we going to stick with our car metaphor? Yeah, we're going to we're going to stick to the car metaphor. It's around the same thinking about how many bitcoin should be in existence and how slowly or quickly it should enter into circulation through um the happening cycle or something like that, right? Or through a pre-mine. That yeah, those are the tokenomics. It's in deciding the token economics of any given new protocol. And are you doing, you're not doing that for Bitcoin, you're doing it for no. new new tokens, right? Yes. Yeah. I did that for Cosmos. I didn't um, go into my background after I entered Bitcoin, but my, my actual work in crypto is in bringing Cosmos to the fore. Cosmos Network is a top 20 coin. Uh, and we were the project that pioneered the cross-chain concept and the idea that um, chains are going to be there's going to be multiple blockchains outside of just the Ethereum blockchain. So and for them to be able to talk to each other is uh -huh. the cross-chain concept, correct? Yes, exactly. Mm -hmm. Right. Good. Mm -hmm. So the yeah the tokenomics around that are around okay well how many should go into circulation and at what rate you know what threshold are we trying to get we're trying to get people to you know, stake on the network at over 75%. So what's the range of um, uh, staking rewards they, that they should get every single month or every single year? So so that's, you know, seven to 21%, stuff like that, right? That's, that's kind of the thinking around what the economics should be in any given token. All right. So I'm going to back up a second. So seven to 21%, you're talking about like what interest rate they people would make on their yeah. Cosmos tokens. Yeah. And then when, when you say, um, I'm, I'm just trying to pick up all of the, the different threads to make sure that if somebody's listening for the first time, they're, they're not totally lost. So it's the amount of um, this particular token, Cosmos, and how it, it um, gets distributed. And then staking is holding that basically without promising not to sell it, i.e. not to spend it. 
so that it can be held in the pool from the people who issued the Cosmos token, correct? Yeah, more or less. It, it's the metaphor would more be- More or less. Yeah. Pretty, yeah. <laughs> Give us another metaphor. Yay, we'll take more metaphors. Go ahead. Yeah, stay, you know, Imagine staking is equivalent to leaving money in your bank account, in your savings account, and you're earning 7% uh, every year. And if the network detects that there's too little amount saved and it wants you to save more, then it's going to increase the savings rate to 20%. So that's how it works. Got it. Okay. Now I'm just going to ask you a question about staking based on what I saw a couple of years ago happen with um, stable coins. A lot of stable coins were staked. And also there were a lot of, there was a lot of crypto staked as well. I myself have staked crypto in the past. In fact, I staked a CRO, which is crypto.com's currency, because I was on their platform and they were like, hey, here's a really great rate for staking. And you were staking for like 60 days, 90 days, something like that. But a lot of people lost a lot of money by staking uh, when I know at least one stable coin, which is staked against the US dollar, did what's called depegging. And I know you know what this means, but just in case anybody listening doesn't, um, when it depegs, it means it's no longer equivalent. It's no longer dollar for dollar, like a dollar of stablecoin is equal to one US dollar. Um, so that scared the Christmas out of a lot of people. A lot of people sold off all at once, causing the depegging to get even worse. It was kind of a bloodbath for a lot of people. So talk about that from the standpoint of your opinion about staking and your opinion about um, how viable that is in a truly volatile market like crypto is. Uh, yeah, I would like to dis decouple the staking from the, the UST DPEG. By the way, Crypto.com and Terra are both Cosmos chains. They were both in the ecosystem using our, our technology. Oh, uh, okay. Got it. For better or for worse. <laughs> for better or for worse is a good way to put it. Yes. I think in general with crypto, it's for better or for worse. I mean, we definitely are seeing a bunch of ups and downs. It is definitely still the Wild West. You know, I tell everybody, like, don't buy anything just because you say it sounds good, or I say it sounds good, like get out there, get educated. Your education is more important than anything. That's the whole purpose of this show. So I love what you're sharing because you're not saying, you know, you should buy this. You're saying, let me educate you. And I think that's really vitally important. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and that is very important, especially if you want to defend yourself uh, with good information against the next scams or the next rug pulls of the of the bull market when, when it returns. Uh, but okay, in general, staking staking is a security mechanism for for proof of stake blockchains. Um, so, in blockchain land, there's there's a term called double spending, and that's one of the biggest issues. Like that's one of the biggest attack vectors that you could make in um, in the blockchain world. It's it's akin to stealing money directly from the chain. Uh, so in order for a proof of stake blockchain to protect from that, it needs collateral. They need to put up collateral, their own money up front that's put up, um, to, that's slashable. So it, uh, it could be taken away from them if the blockchain finds out that they were the ones stealing the money. 
So that's why uh, that's why staking is important. That's why staking lends to the security of the overall blockchain. Um, and so I don't think anybody's ever told me that in the I mean, I'm you're like my, you know, my 40th guest or something. I don't think anybody's ever said that before. So that's really good to know. So do you so that's your that's the primary purpose of staking. Yes. Is that right? right? That's right. Huh. Okay. You know, so Keep yeah, going. Wh- you know, while you're, you know, earning a 20, 20% APR on your, you know, ch- savings account, uh, what it's doing under the hood is securing the blockchain and ensuring that the network operates like it's supposed to. So that's why staking is important. And typically staking has a period to, to allow you to thaw, you know, imagine if you put in money in your savings account, well, it takes two weeks for it to thaw for, for the bank, so to speak, to let you withdraw your money. Um, so in that time, you know, you do have to plan ahead a little bit, you know, money's just not instantly liquid right away. So in the event of a, you know, Terra DPEG, the UST DPEG, uh, if you were staked, that's that's really unfortunate, and you you probably you you know you couldn't have done anything about it during that time. Um, but in most circumstances, when there's not such a black swan event happening, and if you just wanted to get liquid money, you can. You just have to wait two weeks. So in most cases, staking is safe. You know, it's just a matter of planning ahead. It's during these black swan events when things get a little bit trickier. And um, uh, define a black swan event for our listeners, if you don't mind. Yeah. A black swan event is something really bad, catastrophic that comes out of thin air, like a meteorite, not a meteorite, like a meteor, you know, hitting earth. So, uh, you know, the USTD pegged, very few people were able to predict it. Um, or time when it could have happened. And when it did happen, it left everyone scrambling. So that's a black swan event. Uh, another example of that would be bank, central banks failing en masse and needing to get bailouts from the Federal Reserve. You know, how often does that happen? Not often at all. Uh, three times in the last, uh, no, four times now, four times in the last six weeks. Yes. By the time your episode airs, uh, I will have actually had an episode where I just talked about that because it's been so obvious to me, even as a lay person, that we're <laughs> we have <laughs> we have like Problems. the black swanlings or something running around right now because there's so many of these events. Yes, it's yeah. been really scary. Yes. Yeah. Uh, these so, are interesting times. Yes, we are. Yes, they they're the expression is, um, I, I think it's a Chinese curse. May you be born in interesting times. Well, we all have been. So congratulations. Yes. We're in this one together. So um, I want to know about your uh, a little bit about how you taught yourself because you've been in crypto and in blockchain long enough that it's not like there was real education out there for you. How did you learn what you learned? And, you know, were you afraid to kind of like get into it without really understanding what you were doing? Or did you just kind of like muddle your way through? I muddled my way through. I I mean, you know, it was definitely a giant leap of faith when I did that. You know, I had a nice secure paying job at JPL. And then I thought, 
you know what? I'm just going to let that go. And I'm going to travel the world, go to Bali and, uh, you know, figure out, figure it out from there and, you know, invest in Bitcoin. Right. <laughs> and so, um, the learning curve was really, really steep, uh, at the time it was it was most it was all technical and it was it was only uh bitcoin and eventually um ethereum launched and then there was there were there were more ideas but it took me four good years to to like really deep dive into th- the technology and and the entire space to finally establish a foundation of knowledge to be able to understand it um whatever whatever else knew that's going on at breath and and it was it was quite scary at times but um i was fortunate to have enough savings at the time to be able to buy some bitcoin invest in it and at the same time become a journalist where i interviewed a lot of different technical founders who were doing various things in cryptocurrency and that's how i established my early footing in the industry was was acting as a journalist, interviewing these interesting um, early people and getting to know all of them and then learning uh, through osmosis effectively. That's great. That's like so amazing that you did that and that you were interested in it from the technical side as well. What's your current like favorite stuff that you're doing right now in your work? Well, I'm right hang now, on. I'm sorry. I asked that question really badly. I'm going to say, I'm going to say it in a more professional way. What are some of the favorite projects that you are working on right now? Right. So we have a Cosmos Dex and that's, it has the most amount of usage, volume, adoption, uh, cross-chain connections to any other Cosmos chain there is. And so uh, it's called osmosis. <laughs> Speaking of learning through osmosis. Speaking. Uh, no. Yeah. Did you name it? Tell me the truth. I, I did not name it. No, no. Someone else did actually. <laughs> A happy coincidence then. Yes. A happy co- yeah. Um, so yeah, we we have our, our decks. And the other thing that I'm very excited about is another project called Celestia. And it's po- it's uh, Celestia is pushing this quote unquote modular stack narrative. I don't have to go into it, but um, the conc- the conclusion that I've drawn is that I think that the majority, as in over 90% of decentralized applications, will be running on this kind of architecture in the future. And when I say in the future, like I think five years into the future, uh, it's still very early on right now. Um, and the other thing so, is- mm-hmm. I'm sorry, uh, I, I didn't mean to interrupt you. Go ahead. And the other thing is what? Uh, yeah, I was going to say the last thing that I'm interested in is this little project called Canto. Uh, it's another Cosmos chain, and they um, it's like a little degen- degenerate gambler's playground. <laughs> but it's you know it's Cosmos, it's on the Cosmos stack, but it is interoperable with the EVM ecosystem with like Ethereum and and stuff like that. So it's fun, <laughs> and you can get in there and gamble. Gamble with NFTs. Oh, okay. Yeah. I can lose an entire NFT on a round of blackjack. Is that the idea? Um, maybe not quite. It's more like you buy an NFT and flip it very quickly and and that's 
yeah. This that thing. kind of gambling. Yeah. Oh, crypto gambling. Got yes. it. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I mean, listen, I, I, I actually belong to a crypto poker game. And uh, when I go, we use actual money. Nobody's playing for sats or anything. We're uh, just, you know, it's cash. So right, right, right. it's funny you say crypto poker game and everybody's like, oh, you guys are spending a million dollars. And at this crypto game, like if you blow $200, you have had a really bad night. So it's it's still, you know, not nobody's like everybody just wants to play to play for several hours at a time. But it's straight up poker and, yep. you know, straight up experiences. So what it sounds like you're doing is is more playing in, I'll say, the future of gambling, um, which for right now, I mean, I think there's a lot of NFTs that are, you know, NFTs are still like a speculative uh, uh, future, you know, have speculative value. Um, I harp a lot on the fact that eventually NFTs are going to be every kind of smart con- smart contract and that you're going to be using NFTs to buy a house. You're going to be using NFTs to, you know, get your with, it's going to come with your refrigerator. It's going to come with your car. It's going to come with the mug of you know, that you buy in a store because you're going to have an NFT for everything. I think that's about five years out for it to start, but I think it's about 20 years out before the technology will really be like super up to speed. Right. What do you think about, um, oh, I wanted to ask you a question about um, what you were saying before about these new different pieces of technology that you're involved with, the projects that you're talking about. So you keep saying that everything is basically a part of the cosmos world, let's say, right? The pieces that you mentioned. So if I wanted to to invest in that and invest in, you know, what you're saying you think is going to be the future of a, a lot of different blockchains, then do I do that through buying Cosmos tokens or am I buying the tokens that are being issued by these other projects? How does it work? Yeah, you do You do both of those. Yeah, so uh, those other projects have their own tokens. Osmosis has Osmo, Canto has Canto, Celestia has its own token. Um, and it doesn't always accrue value to the Atom token. So it's, you know, you'd have to invest in all of those. To make, a, so, to make a bet in Cosmos. I understand. So when you say the Atom token, you or are you saying Atom or Atom? Uh, atom. Like Atom. A-T-O-M. Yeah, atomic. Yes. Okay. Yes. Got it. Okay. Well, I wasn't sure because I can tell that we're talking, I think I can tell we're talking about the like the genesis part, the seed of it. So it could have been Atom too, who knew? But um, but that's what you're saying is you would buy Cosmos because Cosmos is the original, but then if you buy Celestial, I think that was one of the ones you mentioned, you can't, like, that doesn't necessarily refer back to Cosmos or that doesn't yeah, not for now. back. I understand. Yeah. Huh. That's very interesting. All right. Yeah. And where do you see the future of crypto like over the next few years? What do you think is going to start to happen? And especially, you know, we're having this conversation and we're both doing our best to keep this in plain English, but it's hard. There's like a whole new vocabulary that you need to know. I have done three episodes on crypto vocabulary that are in the first season of Goddess of Crypto. 
And I didn't, I barely like scratched the surface, right? You know, 20 words per and it, but it is, it's starting to be like a foreign language and the concepts are still foreign. And when you start talking about cross-chain interoperability, what you're talking about to the end user is a nightmare because you have to be able to figure out how to get chain A to talk to chain B. And even if something like Cosmos is the bridge in the middle, it's confusing. It's very confusing. And I'm pretty technically savvy. And I've had a hard time, you know, like, oh, I can get into this token, but I have to do it by buying this token and then by trading it. And, 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 oh, I can't start with the original token. I have to trade that for Ethereum. And then I can do it's, it. It I is know. really, it, it's a pain in the butt. So how do you see that changing in the future? I am of the camps that believe that what you're describing currently is the blockchain user experience creating private toll roads and without Google Maps. So, (laughs) so yeah, imagine, yeah, imagine Ethereum were, you know, New York City and Cosmos is you know, a small podunk town in Alabama and Solana is, you know, uh, Boston or something like that. And you don't have Google Maps and you're trying to navigate your way uh, in a cross-country road trip. And each time you're forced to exchange the currency you have on hand into the currency of, you know, New York City's local currency in order to pay for, for the toll road. And these toll roads are all private. And so we, as far as crypto infrastructure goes, that's how nascent it is. And it's a matter of time before we create these public highways so that you don't need to pay for toll roads, Um, more streamlined highways that give you more optimized paths to get from A to B instead of going from like A to C to B. Uh, it, it, it and eventually you won't have to exchange the currency you have on hand into the local currency of the city, you know. So it's just a matter of time. And right now, what you've described is a headache for the end user. But I think it's going to go away in the next couple of years. I mean, that's at least the sort of design thinking that we have at Cosmos is enabling the user to use whatever money that you're currently holding to pay for gas and to pay for tolls, you know, to, to exchange across chains. Um, so we're get, we're going to get there. Okay. That is possibly the most intelligent explanation and most like no pun intended on the, like, you know, on the ground explanation that I've ever heard for uh, what's going on in, in blockchain. I think that's really beautiful. Thank you. Because I think we could all use a little bit more ease and grace and flow with all of the stuff that has been happening with, um, with trying to figure this stuff out. I mean, I, I love it. But the frustration of, you know, oh, this will take an hour, make that six, make that my whole day and maybe yeah. my whole weekend trying to make like, you know, one major exchange. It can be really a pain in in, in the butt. Um, 
how, so you're talking about these public toll roads versus private toll roads. Normally public toll roads are, wait for it, paid by the government. So where do you see the government fitting into this? I mean, I know, you know, Europe has passed some pretty comprehensive crypto laws just in the last few weeks. America, certainly America under the Biden administration is saying basically, like, we're not going to have any crypto, which is, I mean, that's just crap. It's not, it's a temporary situation. You know, people ran around in the mid 90s going like, we're not going to have the internet, somebody's going to shut the internet down. And that's going to be the end of that. And, you know, that was also crap. And it was it was the kind of crap that people who didn't understand what was going on spouted because they didn't understand what was going on and didn't care to get educated about it. But, you know, Bitcoin is Pandora's box. It's been opened. You cannot shut it down unless you turn off all the lights. And if we do that, then we're going to have a lot bigger problems on our hands that most of us will not have any cash at that moment as well. Right. So it's not like about Bitcoin or crypto or anything. So. I want to figure out, like, where's the government fit into this to create these public toll roads? Or do you think those are going to be done by the private sector and then, like, what, gifted to the world the way in a way that Bitcoin was? Yeah, so the analog for the government that we have in blockchain land is, at, at least in Cosmos, we have... So every time you you stake, so every time you put money in your savings account... What the bank, you know, the bank of Cosmos, the, what the Cosmos chain actually does is it gives you your portion of your your block rewards, your your savings rate uh, back. But it also takes a small percentage of that money and puts it into a pool. So it's a community governed pool where you as a staker get to vote and decide how to spend the money in the pool. And so, so it's a DAO. It's kind of like a DAO. I mean, you could call it a DAO. Um, in Cosmo, we just call it on-chain governance. It's the same thing, effectively. You know, just your token holders who are staking it get to vote on proposals. So uh, right now, every five weeks, even in this bear market with depressed prices, the Cosmos Hub Atom Community Tax Pool is earning. Uh, $5 million every single five weeks. So that's how much money is in that pool. And our delegators decide how to spend it. So when, you know, the reason why cross-chain, we don't have cross-chain bridges in Cosmos. Uh, they're just straight up optimized paths between the different chains. And the way that these get funded is through these, um, the public public goods funding through through these little community tax pools. So, you know, we don't have the government from the traditional space like the federal government of the United States or the government of Europe or 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 whatever. Um we have the stakers that govern this private but at the same time public pool of assets that everyone has contributed to. So you're, when you say, let's go back to our toll roads metaphor, when you say the, um, the government's going to create toll roads that are public, you mean the government of Cosmos or the government of yeah. the Cosmos ecosystem, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The, the developers of these chains, they uh, mm-hmm. will enable these things and it will get funded by you know, the community tax pool. 
I love hearing this because again, like your other metaphor from before about staking, this isn't something that I've really understood very easily uh, up until now. It's not something that a lot of people are talking about. And I assume that if they're doing it in Cosmos, they're doing it in some of the other blockchains as well, or is Cosmos unique here? Ethereum, for example, or Solana, I, I don't... N- so Ethereum does not have a tax pool. It has the Ethereum Foundation, the Legacy Foundation, and they they hold a substantial amount of ether. So through that through that foundation, that's where they pay for public goods and issue grants from. In Cosmos, we baked in a community tax pool from the get go, which is why we have that. And it's separate from the Cosmos Foundation or any team for that matter. So, it, yeah, Cosmos is a little bit unique in that sense. But, you know, <laughs> other other teams, you know, allocate their tokens to a foundation all the time and issue grants from there. Yeah, that's so excellent to know that. I guess I didn't realize that before. I feel like, you know, one of the reasons I have cool guests on like you is because I learn, you know, I it's, it's really hard to get all of this information, except by osmosis at, uh, you know, at the same time, but over a couple of years, like I've picked up a lot. And I yet I still feel like as I'm talking to you, I feel like a little bit of a beginner. And that's a good thing. I mean, I think that for you know, for all of us, we tend to feel like we're super late getting into the this world. And, you know, we're super early. I mean, yeah. I think we're somewhere between, if this were the internet, we're somewhere between 1995 and 1996. You know, mm-hmm. people have heard of it, there's starting to be mass adoption. Uh, but it's very volatile, very uncomfortable people are still cludging around trying in the dark, trying to figure it out. Um, and, uh, you know, and, and in the case of the internet, color computers are only a few years old. So it's like really, really new. So um, we, we're going to get there with the internet um, more and with crypto not far behind. I mean, we, we, we're going to see that happening. So I, I love that you're involved. I want to ask one more. Uh, I want to ask you two more questions. The first one is, what do you feel like as a woman in this space? Do you feel like there's room for you? Do you feel like there have been accommodations for you? Do you feel like any of that is necessary? Where, where do you sit with all of that? Yeah. Um, so as a woman and in particular an Asian woman, there's there's a huge cultural difference in how I had to work in the workplace to get what I felt like I deserved. And so, you know, especially in the crypto space where it's with, you know, you're competing with a lot of different males, uh, at times you do really have to flaw your way through or or just you know you got to do whatever you got to do um because it's that kind of high stakes game so that's just the nature of the industry you know uh a lot of, you know some people follow the loudest voices you know whether or not those voices have merit or are representative of what the people are thinking or not and so there's there's a lot of that crypto is one of the most political, money-motivated spaces, second to politics, I would say, 
or, or even like Wall Street, you know. And so in that arena, if you're if you want to be a player and stand out and win, um, a lot of the things that held me back earlier in the day as, you know, a Asian, where if you're growing up Asian, you're told to, you know, like sit down, shut up, let your, let your work speak for itself. But, um, in this paradigm, it just doesn't work that way. So I I've had to unlearn that and learn more of the ways of being more assertive, um, in the industry to, to make my voice heard. So, um, that was a, you know, decade long journey. It was a very long journey to kind of shed the old skin and become the person I needed to become to have a voice in this industry. Oh, I love that. I'm so proud of you. That's amazing. Because you, <laughs> it doesn't sound, I mean, you wouldn't have had any role models then, you know? I mean, there's, it, it's not like you wanted to be an Asian actress and suddenly there was, you know, Lucy Yu, Lou or Michelle Yeoh or somebody like right there, it, you're, you know, you were the only one probably, or one of just a few people. Um, I, I know that, you know, as, as a woman in, um, in technology, which is, you know, that's where I started off in my early twenties, it can be very daunting and, you know, you can, it can feel a little terrifying at times. I have found inside of the crypto space that every woman that I've met has been incredibly supportive of every other woman. And I'm going to give a shout out right now to how we met because it's just, I mean, I'm still blown away. Uh, we met a couple of weeks ago at this thing called an Alpha Women's Dinner, which was not only given by a man, he cooked for us, he poured our wine, he would not let us help him with the prep or the cleanup or the dishes or any of that stuff. He And all he asked for us from us is that we stand around and have a conversation about the stuff that we wanted to talk about. When I asked him, why are you doing this? He said, I just want to give back. And, you know, my mother was such a big influence for me. I feel like I want to give back to women. And you know, there are men in the world like that who want to support women and who want to to give women a, a space and to give women um, the right to have their voice. And I was so appreciative of that. Plus, I met incredible women like you. So I'm super, super grateful to have been a part of that. Uh, and I, I think there are, we do have male advocates because our meeting is an example of male advocacy, right? That wouldn't have happened otherwise. So I think that's really beautiful to see that happening. I would love to see there being more of it. I would love to see other men take that action and say, this is something that I think has value and I think has importance. Let me get all the women in my life together and have them have a conversation. Maybe something important will come out of that. I think that's beautiful. Yes, absolutely. I agree. <laughs> <laughs> I'm thankful to have met you too there. Yeah, it was such a great connection. And all right, so here's my last question for you. Are you ready? Yes. What's one more thing that you want all the women listening to this podcast or watching this on YouTube? What's one thing you want them to know? That is a good question. Okay. For, for me personally, and I know that this is also a challenge for many other women is the imposter syndrome. So it took me 
about six to seven years to really shed that feeling. Um, so six to seven years of grinding uphill, honing my skill, proving my worth to myself for me to feel as if I actually know what it is I'm talking about and that I'm not an imposter. So, and that's something that's in your control. You know, the fact that you can diligently chip away at whatever your skill set is and become a master in whatever it is that you want to do just by sheer repetition and persistence, pursuing a North Star, whatever that North Star is. Uh, and eventually you will shed the imposter syndrome by doing that. Do you think that if you could go back to your younger self, your inexperienced self, that you would tell her that she didn't have to have that imposter syndrome and it was still okay for her to just admit that she didn't know what she was doing, but she was figuring it out flying the plane while learning to fly it at the same time, basically. Would you tell her that it was okay that she didn't have to feel like an imposter as she was learning? Yes. I I think that, you know, my, my younger self was very hyper, hyper aware and self-conscious of my status compared to other people and hyper aware of where other people stood in terms of their status. And if I had perceived that they had higher status than me, that it equated to them knowing more than me. And so my younger self felt intimidation a lot of times. And it was only until I shed the imposter syndrome feeling before I started acting and feeling as if I were their equal. So, I mean, I I don't know what remedy there is to this other than practice and repetition and, and growing into your, the self that you're always meant to become. Yeah. That's something that I would share. That's awesome. Well, I am a mindset coach first And I'll tell you that there is imposter syndrome at every level. I work with women who make seven, eight figures a year, and they also have a level of imposter syndrome when they meet somebody that they feel is at a higher level than they are. You tend to question that. And I believe that that's because we as human beings have a negativity bias against ourselves. So we, if, if we can simply embrace that feeling, when you get imposter syndrome, you can look at the other person and you can say, hey, they are a way shower for me. They are showing me the way of my future. They're showing me what's possible for me and they're standing right in front of me doing it. So obviously God's spirit, you know, whoever has put them in my path so that I can see what's possible for me. And then also to recognize that change is the only way we're going to grow. 
right? If we if we stay here, no growth is going to happen. No innovation is going to happen. But every time we step outside of our comfort zone, it's super scary for people because our brains are hardwired that wherever we are right now is safe. And anything when we step outside what I'll call our cave, it's not safe anymore. So when you feel that feeling, I call that the difference between scary guy in dark alley fear and raise your sword and run into battle fear. So when you feel the danger fear, the scary guy in dark alley fear, sure, stay in your cave. But when you feel the scariness of I'm going to step outside of my comfort zone, comfort zone, that's raise your sword and run into battle fear. So when you feel that, recognize that though it feels the same way in your body, it's two different things. So maybe those are two ways that you can shift your future imposter syndrome, because I can tell you're going to do great things in the world and more great things in the world. And I want to see you be unafraid to make that happen. And I think that what you're doing is really important. So thank you so much for coming today and sharing this with our listeners and our viewers. Thank you, Hallie. And actually, when you mentioned that, it made me think of another metaphor. Um, King crabs, the snow crabs, you you know their process when they molt. So they, king crabs all have a season for molting. They all come together unmasked by the hundreds of thousands together. They come together in one place in order to molt. So they come out of their old shell to grow into their new, bigger body, their more, their fuller self, evolved self. But when they molt, their bodies are soft. So that's where we get the soft shell crabs from. And, but the reason why they all have to come together at the same time is safety in masses. So what happens is when they're molting, um, They're incredibly vulnerable to predation, which is why they have to hide in a giant group. Because when they all come together like that, the predators all swim around them. But sometimes they miss the the crabs that have just molted because the other crabs that haven't molted are protecting them. So when you said, you know, break out of your comfort zone to go into battle, that fear is a necessity for you to molt. Even in the face of predation, you have to grow. I love this. I love this. I'm thinking about changing the show title from Goddess of Crypto to Women Molting. <laughs> I think that's a good, maybe that'll be the subtitle of season two. <laughs> I love it. I would tune into the Women Molting podcast. <laughs> oh my goodness. Django, thank you so much for being here today. I'm very grateful. Thank you, Hallie, for having me. I'm grateful to be here. If you liked this episode, please like it, comment on it, share it, review it. And when I say share, please share it with your mothers and your girlfriends and your wives and your sisters and your besties. I want every woman in the world to know about Goddess of Crypto so that you can make sure that you are in the right place at the right time for the coming financial tsunami. Please learn to surf 
so you don't get knocked over by the waves. And if you would like to get more information about Chango, please look in the show notes. All of her details will be in there. I will see you next week on Goddess of Crypto. Every week, transformational wealth coach Hallie Evelyn leads a conversation that helps to ensure that women everywhere can learn to surf the coming tsunami of the new energy of money. You can find her at goddessofcrypto.me. That's goddessofcrypto.me. Be sure to subscribe to Goddess of Crypto on your favorite platform or watch the show on YouTube. And remember, wealth isn't just your privilege. It's your right.